I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. And that's right. That's the sound of an 18-wheeler you hear rolling on Thanksgiving Day. Because we don't ever take fucking days off. We just keep moving. Anyway, I just felt like rubbing that in your face so you felt sorry for me. Oh, poor pitiful Tommy. He's an essential worker. Poor pitiful Tommy. Anyway, just kidding. Sorry. I don't know why I said that. That was not planned. It just came out. And now I am ashamed of myself. And I will um, commence to giving myself lashings as soon as I am done recording this episode. Uh, Well, okay. So over the last couple of weeks, I've seen uh, a story going around about Trump invoking um, the the John F. Kennedy's memo uh, memorandum 57 which uh, detailed that special operations or paramilitary forces would be subject to civilian leadership in the Pentagon and uh, in the Joint Chiefs as opposed to the uh, the CIA, and that they would no longer be re- responsive or uh, taking orders from the CIA, and people have concluded that this is somehow a magnificently brilliant move on Trump's part, and it is going to neuter or castrate the CIA in some way, shape, or form. Um. Well, okay, so this memorandum was written by McGeorge Bundy, McGeorge Bundy, who was, uh, I think he was a national security advisor to Kennedy under the Kennedy administration. Um, it did, it was intended to limit the powers of the CIA, but even at the, at the time, um, in in six in the sixties in nineteen sixty one, um, the CIA's power, though it was still fairly an infant in its development as an institution, it it still had an immense amount of power. Um, that was evident on November twenty second. Um, when they, you know, 1963, when John F. Kennedy lost his life in Dealey Plaza. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that the CIA was behind that in some way, shape, or form. We can even trace back to... um, Mockingbird or uh, Iran Contra, MK Ultra, like all these things were were expansions and just the the evolution, the evolving, the growth of this this organization that that is the CIA, and uh, you know it will continue to grow and accumulate power 
you know, as time goes on, as long as it's in existence. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, put too much stock into memorandum 57. Okay. So, so it was intended to limit the powers of the CIA and their abilities to run clandestine operations, um, in foreign nations. This took place after the Bay of Pigs, which was a huge embarrassment to Kennedy. And um, this was during his battle against the CIA after the Bay of Pigs, in which he said he was going to shatter the CIA into a million pieces, which obviously never happened. Um, So he he did write this um, in order to limit the CIA's operations. Um, what this memo did not address, it did not address the the, um, the, the CIA base on Lake Pontchartrain. Um, it did not address them, uh, their training and uh, utilizing foreign nationalists, uh, foreign, foreign citizens, um, whether refugees or, or um, insurgents in foreign nations as operators in, uh, in their chosen wars. So it, it, didn't, it didn't get into any of these things. What it, what it did ultimately was just take military special operations, Green Beret, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, out of the toolkit of the CIA. Now, if you listen to Ray McGovern, uh, his last interview with Scott Horton is a little bit over an hour long, and he gets into his time with the CIA, how the CIA was was situated, and he t- and he says, you know, there are there's the analyst side, the side that that Truman had, you know, intended to gather intelligence to report directly to the president, so the intelligence wasn't you know corrupted by um, politics and partisanship and this, that, this, that, and the other, um, wasn't corrupted by, you know, foreign agents, um, getting, getting their hands on it and possibly leaking, um, some material or, or completely fabricating material in order to, you know, steer the United States into specific directions, for the benefit of another nation. So, so the the CIA it was it was just there to gather intelligence, make sure that the the executive branch had the information directly in front of them at all times, and and it was supposed to be only truth, only facts about what was going on around the world. So, this is the the intelligence we've we've collected on what the Soviet Union or, or China or whatever is doing. And so this is what you need to know about their actions in this region. That was pretty much what it was meant for. Um, but there was another, an operational side of the CIA that was, was born. And it was born from as best I can tell from the reading I've done from the mind of Alan Dulles, um, 
the these were your corporatists, your international bankers and corporate executives, uh, businessmen that had extensive ties around the world. These these guys were, I mean, there are records of some of them being just complete sociopaths, um, murderers, you know, just scientists, like like mad scientists in some cases. Um, they're kind of like, they, they kind of became the international, like, hitmen for for the United States and is operating under this veil of secrecy. And there are some really interesting historic names in this group. Um, and they're, they're really interesting to talk about and read about and, and get to know and understand. But for the most part, most of them were just flat out criminals and uh, they were committing extortion and murder and racketeering all in the name of the state and getting away with it um, on mass levels all over the world. Um, you can read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where he talks about his role working with intelligence as a business executive. Um, he was a... Uh, an economist, and it was he was he was hired to shape the um, economic uh, policies of other nations through suggestions on how to enrich that particular nation or that particular government through corporations and and by utilizing American corporations, and that was his job. And he even said that if if you didn't if they didn't comply. We would we would do everything we could to talk them into it, but if they didn't comply, then then the jackals would come in, and these were the guys that were sent in to topple regimes and kill uh, presidents or dictators or prime ministers that were not operating under uh, American primacy and in the best interest of American business and corporations, and um, a lot of a lot of the. The coups you see, like uh, the attempts in Venezuela, um, in Bolivia, are are because of the the type of uh, the, the resistance to uh, American corporations and the uh, the selling off of their country's resources. Um, and I'm not saying that these people are. Are brilliant by any stretch of the imagination to have the uh, have the correct economic standards or, or anything like that, but as uh, you got to think as a as a as a leader of a country, like are you uh, do do the people of your country like expect you to sell out their interests for cor- for international corporate interests or to retain the interest uh, and resources of that of of your country of your nation in order to uh, enrich your nation and its citizens to the fullest extent of your capabilities. So, when you're just coming at it from just that logical standpoint, just that just that mindset, like forget the economics behind, you know, um, you know the 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 
politics of Venezuela or Bolivia, it, there's this this nationalism, this this uh, this desire for your elected officials to act on your on your behalf and with your best interest at heart. Um, it, it's 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 understandable. I, I don't I, I don't hold that against people that that think about politics or government in that manner. Now I think they're wrong. Um, at least in the U.S., they're wrong. Um, and even in Venezuela and Bolivia, I think those people are acting in the best interest of themselves and their their counterparts and not necessarily in the best interest of the average citizen. Um, I would just look at the amount of wealth they are holding compared to the average citizen of their nation. And uh, I think that's enough evidence right there to to prove that they are not really acting in the best in it, interest of those citizens. But anyway, so, um, so we get back to, to, to this memo. Okay. So, so what would this actually accomplish? What, what, what is Trump actually accomplishing? Well, he's not really accomplishing much of anything. So like I was just saying, the, the, the CIA has these jackals. They have these people that they go, go into other countries, other nations. They are, um, they're special operators. They have their own special operations units. Uh, I believe it's called SAD, S-A-D. Um, and, and so, like, they don't necessarily require the, the, the special operations or paramilitary units of the military to complete their operations. So, in a lot of ways, what we've seen here is... is just Trump again making an empty gesture. Now, whether he realizes he does, and I would almost venture to guess he doesn't even know it's an empty gesture. He probably actually believes he's actually accomplishing something um, by doing this, but he's really not because there are enough units and enough personnel under the operations side of the CIA overseas um, working with foreign governments and foreign militaries able to employ their special operations units, their paramilitary units into their own nation or their, their neighbor's nation that I don't, I don't think that it makes that big of a difference. It's, it's really just kind of this symbolic gesture of I'm the president and you will not commit any, of these acts overseas without me telling you. And it's like bullshit, dude. These people have will, they've never, never have, and they never will answer to the president, president, the executive branch of the government. No matter what you think their, their purpose was for existence, it is not their job as the permanent government, as the deep state, as the major arm of the deep state in foreign affairs uh, around the world. Um, to be utilized, they can be utilized by the Pentagon in any number of ways. Uh, that a Department of National Security can use them in any number of ways. Like there's there's no no re- rhyme or reason to believe that the people that were initially responsible, uh, like directly responsible for. The entire Russiagate scandal and Ukraine scandal 
around Trump for the last three years, the people that have been at war with Trump behind the scenes, for the most part, those those Brennan and Clapper types that that they are somehow going to be neutered so easily by by just invoking a 50 what 59 year old memorandum like they haven't found their ways around these memorandums they haven't figured out how to backdoor and and coerce the the church committee or the Warren Commission they haven't figured out how to how to infiltrate these institutions and get their way they haven't figured out how to hack into the Senate Oversight Committee on Intelligence, how to hack into their computers, gather all the information, whitewash all the information, and get away with it? They haven't figured all this out? Of course they have, because they're the real power structure behind the United States. Behind the United States government sits these bureaucrats, these bureaucracies, this permanent government structure This, quote-unquote, shadow government, if you will, the deep state, and they are the ones pulling the strings. They are the ones who are going after Donald Trump because he's asking questions about NATO or wanting to pull troops out of Syria or wanting to uh, get out of Afghanistan or hold a meeting with the Taliban or negotiate with uh, Kim Jong-un or whatever he's wanting to do. They're the ones that are leaking to the press and and throwing obstacles in Donald Trump's path every chance he gets because he is a direct threat to American primacy around the world, American hegemony around the world, right? He flies in the face of Zbigniew Brzezinski's plan and in the blueprint laid out in the, in the grand chessboard, right? He doesn't play the game. Because he doesn't see it as profitable. And, and you heard me and Scott allude to the fact that finally, as he's about to get thrown out of office for losing an election, he decides to, you know, bring in Douglas McGregor. You know, and, and it's, it's how disappointing that was and how much he played around with the civilian le- leadership, the approved civilian leadership of the um, the the deep state and the, uh, um, the state department and how he was, you know, hiring, we all, we all saw him hire John Bolton and how disappointing that was. We all saw him, you know, hire Mike Pompeo and, you know, Bill Barr and all these people. And when you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what, what swamp are you draining? Are you, are you draining the, the civilian swamp? You're trying to get all the, all the swamp creatures out of the civilian world into government positions i mean i don't i don't i think you got this backwards on what you were actually elected to to do but so his his complete incompetence and inability to to work this system is 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 glaring here because he thinks this this empty gesture of of pulling special operations away from the cia which i mean joe biden was just revoke the memo or they'll fucking just ignore it you know just altogether ignore it the civilian leadership will start working 
in con- conglomeration with the CIA. They just work parallel to each other. Like, who fucking cares? Like, one of the big, big uh, problems that the CIA has had is um, special operations knowing and um, coordinating with the CIA and their operations overseas. And you've had instances of them getting into firefights and yada, 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 because they don't because they're not they're not communicating. I mean, if they're if they're so that's like the worst that can happen is, you know, you're going to have American special forces, you know, engaging in a firefight with CIA, you know, special operations overseas. But that's nothing new. It's it's happened before. We've we've read about it. I think I've talked about it here. I know Aaron Mate. I believe it was Aaron Mate that wrote about it at the Gray Zone or something. I, I don't remember exactly where I read it, but I, I'm pretty sure that's where it was. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> so the the idea that you know Trump is 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 actually accomplishing anything is is kind of ridiculous. Now now back to the whole questioning NATO and and wanting to pull troops out of Syria. We just saw this story come out about, uh, by Jim Jeffries in Defense One, talking about how they misled Donald Trump as to how many uh, troops were actually uh, left in Syria, and that they had they had convinced Donald Trump that they had like withdrawn troops down to like two hundred troops remaining in Syria, and they, these troops were only there to guard oil because Donald Trump believes that if you're going to be involved in anything anywhere in the world, it should only be to profit the United States as a corporation because he looks at the United States as a corporation, which he's not the only person in the world that looks at the United States as a corporation, but that's a whole nother story and a whole nother breakdown there that I don't think is necessary to get into. But he does view, he views government, he views government and country in itself as a as 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 a giant international corporation that that's entire uh operation system ought to be to um engaging in 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 capitalism in such a way that it um profits government and the people of the government and and of of the nation he really believes this. This is this is what his kind of like right wing kind of populism kind of idea is, which I, I mean, I say right wing and kind of quotes because I don't even really think he's all that right wing. He's kind of centrist, like centrist light, you know, kind of populism, like, I don't know, some of his I, I don't. Anyway, that's just another thing for another day. Um, so. So. What what he's doing like and what what we've seen is he's he ramped up man he ramped up bombing in Yemen and Syria and Iraq and all these all these places like and and then as ISIS kind of de- dissolved and kind of faded away and you know were quote unquote defeated not to say that every single ISIS member is gone but for the most part they're not making any moves they're not doing anything uh, large this is why we didn't hear anything about ISIS in, in the debates during the whole campaign cycle nobody was talking about al-qaeda or isis or terrorism nobody it never once came up because it's not a, it's not a thing donald trump you know he allowed that he, he engaged with the military in such a way that they were able to draw up a plan for victory and it wasn't this whole you know we got to play this group against this group against this group against this group and this whole like weird like 
game that the Obama administration played for eight years and where you're propping up terrorists in this country while you're fighting them in this country. And, you know, it's like that, that whole weird, like balancing act that just never made any fucking sense. He just didn't play that game. And so this was one of the benefits of Donald Trump. We knew that, okay, he's going to ramp up the bombing early. He's going to try to end these terror wars, but he wants to bring the troops home. He wants to bring these wars to an end. But the motivation behind that was never because he's against war. And this is Scott Horton and I talked about this the other day. Like he's not, it's not about that he's against war, so to speak. He's against losing, like losing money. He's against the the negative bank account. He's he, he's he's saying we're not profiting from this. Like these countries can pay us if they want us to continue to engage in these wars. We can be mercenaries. We can be hired hitmen for these countries, but we're not going to do it for free. We're not going to rebuild these countries using our our riches and our blood and our treasure, right? And so there's there's some logic to that. And as he's saying this, he's saying, why don't we do this instead of engaging in and starting more wars? Why don't we ramp down? Why don't we pull troops out? Why don't we like not, not necessarily pull all the troops, but why don't we ramp down our engagement on our on a war footing and we approach it on a business footing? So that all these countries that we are going to war for, that we are fighting in the name of the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel, instead of engaging in these combative acts on their behalf, why don't we just sell them their weapons and the equipment that they need to engage in these wars on their own? So we'll be making a profit. Our hands are clean of blood. We're like Smith and Wesson. We're just selling the gun to the, the school shooter, we're not actually engaging in the in the homicide of innocent people. So, it, it you know, you don't blame Budweiser for a drunk driver. You don't blame Chevy for, you know, uh, a car accident, a fatal car accident. It's just you. It's the person that's responsible. So, so you're selling the tools of war to these nations. You're earning a profit. You're no longer spending money on on rebuilding these nations or uh, costing lives of American soldiers in these foreign countries. And everybody wins. The wars end. The United States uh, people are happy and the United States government and their, you know, their buddies at Raytheon and Boeing are making billions upon billions of dollars selling weapons to all these foreign countries. Ta-da. I'm, I'm Donald Trump. You won so much, you're tired of it. And now you kicked me out of office because orange man bad. But so that was kind of the way that he was approaching the Middle East and these, the foreign policy. It was not it was not about ending war based upon a principled thing. It was about the profitability of being at war, the profitability of selling weapons to these countries versus going to war on their behalf. And so that's why Donald Trump you know, is, you know, doing everything he can to get people out, to get, get the troops out of Afghanistan in that war. Um, he believes that the weapons sales are the, the way forward. And that's the, the profitability that comes from these weapons sales are what's going to make America great again. 
that it's not going to be our presence in these countries. It's going to be our ability to enrich ourselves um, in the name of the atrocities of these countries is what makes us great. So whereas the the DNS, uh, Pentagon, State Department, they look at it in a completely different way that you have to spread American democracy through hegemony. And the only way to do that is on a war footing and to um, combat the cultures and those in charge of these governments that are um, antithesis to American culture and the American way of life. And the um, honestly, the America world order in which America is the one and only superpower in that everything is uh, in the benefit of the United States. And, and that's, you know, kind of the way they look at it. And the, the way that they choose to do this is through domination and conquering uh, in a very um, neo-colonialist type of way. And so Donald Trump flies in the face of that. So that is the main that is the main conflict between like the CIA and Donald Trump. It isn't that Donald Trump is anti CIA. It's it's Donald Trump is against the the profit loss, you know, the profit loss that the CIA creates in going in and 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 and, and, and engaging in these regime change operations. And this is where Donald Trump is like, no, 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 no. We're going to stop doing that. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to take away your, your pets of special operations, you know, paramilitary units. You're not going to be able to play with your, these toys anymore. And the CIA just shrugs and says, whatever, man, you're not going to stop us from doing what the fuck we want to do. Like, we're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter. And the fact that he did it here so late, late in his term, it, it's it's just ridiculous. It's just like it's 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 like this flailing last gasp of like this death rattle of Donald Trump just trying at any which way he can to get his way uh, in foreign policy. And, you know, I mean, yeah, he made some steps in the right direction, but he was just he just wasn't smart enough and well versed and well read on the subject of foreign policy and the way that the United States engaged in foreign policy to understand what he was getting into. He thought it was this real simple dichotomy of you're either there or you're not. And to somebody who doesn't understand how the foreign policy operates, who's actually in charge of the foreign policy, why it's operating in this this manner, you you're you have to change the culture of the deep state of the state department before you're ever going to change the policies that are, are coming out of that, you know, gargantuan, you know, fucking bureaucracy that is, that is pulling the strings behind all this bullshit. So, um, whereas I think he had like the right motives and in, you know, like I said, castrating the CIA in this manner, um, I just it's ineffectual. And I it, much like Donald Trump has been his entire presidency when it comes to foreign policy, um, you know, despite what you think about the deals between the UAE and Israel. Um, I don't even remember all of them. 
you know, Sudan and Israel, yada, yada, yada. What, no matter what you think about those and, you know, these nominations for, um, what is it, Nobel Peace Prize, whatever. Um, I don't, he's not going to win a Nobel Peace Prize, by the way. I'm sorry to tell you. I don't care how many times they nominate him. Uh, they would raise Hitler from the dead and give him a Nobel Peace Prize before they give one to Donald Trump. Um, anyway, so no matter what you think about Donald Trump's Middle Eastern policy and, and the, the improvements that it's made, and even Jim Jeffries after admitting, like, yeah, we, you know, we were kind of shuffling, you know, playing a game and with him and he, he was incapable to, to realize that we had more troops in Syria than we actually told him we had yada 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 um, but you know Biden coming in should probably keep Donald Trump's Middle Eastern policy so there are some people that do like what he's been doing in foreign policy um, and no matter what you think about his foreign policy for the most part it's been completely ineffectual um, at least as his stated goals would be and ending wars and getting troops back home by Christmas, which he's running short, which doesn't mean that there's no, there's no, I'm sure there were some troops that are going to be home by Christmas, but I, I very seriously doubt it's going to be like the, the vast majority of them. So it, it looks really to me like he's going to leave about 2,500 troops in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, so, you know, that's my kind of, my kind of Thanksgiving special rant on Donald Trump. Um, in the foreign policy and these rumors around all these brilliant maneuvers he's making, trying to end these wars, and he's going, he's neutering the CIA, blah, 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 blah. Uh, not really. He's really not really accomplishing much of anything. Uh, for the most part, four years of Donald Trump has been in completely ineffectual in the foreign policy realm, and, um, you know, basically Joe Biden is taking over exactly where the Obama administration left off at. Uh, that's basically what we're looking at. So I don't know. I wouldn't expect anything to come of it. And, you know, anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Hope y'all enjoyed your family and your friends and all the food. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late.